Hey everybody, I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Before you listen to or watch the show, remember to subscribe and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest news and updates from my legal club. If you, your family or your business need any legal support or no obligation solicitor quotes, please get in touch with us at mylegalclub.co.uk. Before you listen to the show, please note the content is for information purposes only and is not to be relied upon. Stay well, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the MLC Show. I am your host, Sean Rogers, and I'm delighted to be joined on today's show by Scott Birchall, Director at Smooth Commercial Law. We're going to be discussing in today's show examples of when pension advice goes wrong, including defined benefit pensions and investment failures relating to self-invested personal pensions, or SIPs, as they're more commonly known. Scott has extensive experience in property and banking litigation, as well as large value complex contractual disputes. The cases Scott has been involved in vary from your standard landlord and tenant dispute to multi-million pound banking disputes. Uh, Scott and his team have helped clients secure redress in highly complex claims, often relating to pensions and failed investment scandals. And I am proud to call Scott a friend as well. So Scott, how are you, mate? Very well, thank you. It was a beautiful introduction. Appreciate that. Glad that we've made you blush. Um, <laughs> before we get stuck into the show, what's the best thing about being a solicitor and running your own business and what's the hardest aspect of that? Um, it has to be the variation. Um, as a commercial litigator, one of the things I enjoyed uh, right at the outset was simply the variety of work. Um, one day I could be dealing with a complex banking dispute. The next case, the next day, I could be dealing with a property matter, um, or financial mis-selling case. Um, as they say, the variety is the spice of life, and I think it does uh, ring true for uh, commercial litigation. And getting stuck into pensions, why do you think we've seen a big rise in pension mis-selling and claims uh, relating to pensions in the past decade? And um, one word: opportunity. Um, I think that um, when the rules were um, um, laxed in terms of what individuals can do in terms of their pension, um, it gave it, it meant that there was an opportunity there um, for Miss Cell. Um, I'm not saying that everyone who has lost money because of a pension issue has been um, the, the advisor or the SIP company set out to, um, to um, take money off these individuals. But I think it meant that there was an opportunity in the market for those individuals who, let's just say, are um, somewhat unscrupulous to um, take advantage of individuals' pensions. And they, they were able to orchestrate a, um, a scheme there whereby they were able to get money from what would be safe and secure pension into a SIP and then onwards into a uh, unregulated, unsuitable investment. And you're just touching on it there, but could you expand on like what is a SIP and, and why would someone transfer into one? Uh, a SIP is a, is a, it's a wrapper, it's a tax wrapper. Um, it's a um, conduit through which individuals have a greater flexibility into what they can put their pension into. Um, SIPs aren't all bad. You know, um, SIPs are 
uh, very useful. And a lot of advisors recommend SIPs for, uh, for tax benefits. Um, but in my view, they should only be really used where, for instance, we have, uh, let's say, business owner wants to buy a property from which they can then um, occupy for the purposes of their business. So they buy the property in their uh, personal capacity, transfer it into the SIP or the SIP purchase the property, and then the business rents it from um, the SIP. Um, but what it shouldn't be used for is what we deal with on a daily basis, the um, the, the the, the schemes which are unsuitable, the offshore property schemes, the um, you know the ethical, the um, uh, plantations in Bolivia, the storage units, um, the um, off-plan um, German property companies. Those are the sort of things that SIPs really shouldn't be used for, um, um, or certainly shouldn't be used for for Joe Blogs. Um, you know, they really should only be used for those individuals that have a clear understanding of what they're getting themselves into. And talking about investments, um, when investments relating to a SIP fail to perform or even collapse completely, the harm caused can be absolutely devastating. Can you give us some examples of, of investments, um, you know, in the press, investments that, that, you know, have failed? What was the idea of the investment and what went wrong? Yeah, um, I mean, just to hammer home the point that you made at the start, you know, the damage is absolutely catastrophic. You know, we're talking about people's uh, pensions, you know, that their savings that they've worked, you know, extremely hard to save up, you know, that they put into a pension on a monthly, yearly basis in order to give them some sort of life after um, they uh, they retire. You know, this money could be earmarked for children, grandchildren, uh, for retirement plans. Um, and if they, if these individuals are now faced with a situation where that money has got the results can be catastrophic. You know, we've had instances where individuals have had to find part-time jobs, um, you know, in order to kind of build up the pot. If they've already retired, you know, have individuals that are having to go back to work. Um, you know, it's devastating for these, these people. It really is. Um, and, uh, you know, we do take great satisfaction in being able to help these clients get their money back. You know, the... Um, the the gratitude and the and the thanks that we get is, is startling it more so than any other cases we deal with and it just shows the impact that these cases do have on individuals um the types of schemes that we that we're involved with really does vary um we um we've dealt um an awful lot with uh, storage units in the uk um these are these warehouses that you'll see, which are split into individual units and then uh, rented out to individuals to store their items. Um, well, these, this, the companies that set these storage companies up, what they did is in order to gain, fi in order to gain finance uh, investment for, for the, um, the development of these um, storage units, um, uh, they were um, often advertised to investors and the investors invested into the storage units, acquired a storage unit in essence, and then they were rented out back to, to end customers. Um, so that's one particular scheme that we've been heavily involved with. More recently, um, we've been involved with a offshore property-based company in Germany, um, uh, whereby clients have invested into um, loan notes, so they've acquired a loan note. In essence, it's a piece of paper that says, you lend me a thousand pounds at a certain date in the future, we'll repay you X. Um, the, um, the loan notes were supposed to be secured against property in Germany, never were. Um, and lo and behold, the, um, the scheme, the, the German property companies recently replaced into administration, um, 
but the properties weren't built. So the money that was invested into this company to, in order to develop all this land in Germany for supposed tax benefits um, never came to fruition. Um, and then now clients are left with nothing more than a piece of paper that says, I owe you X pounds, but if the company behind that piece of paper has gone under, then the clients are stuck. And financial losses you know, being incurred from a SIP, um, that doesn't mean automatic redress, of course. Some of the examples you've given there, you can see where the loss has been suffered, but what would constitute that being missold? What would give you rise to make a claim? Um, so there's various claims that we look at. So um, the first claim that we look at is the financial advisor. Um, so if the clients were advised by a financial advisor to transfer out of a pension into a SIP, um, then um, there potentially is a claim there for mis-selling. Um, the transfer, the actual act of transferring out of one's pension into a SIP has to be um, done very, it has to be advised upon because it is a serious step. Uh, you know, clients are transferring, transferring out of a pension, which, would, um, which may have uh, certain defined benefits attached to it. Um, so the clients are foregoing those defined benefits if the transfer out of the pension into a SIP. So if the clients weren't properly advised or if that wasn't suitable for the clients, then there's potential mis-selling there. If the advisor has also advised the clients to invest onto, onwards into an investment scheme that wasn't suitable, high risk, uh, unregulated, um, then again, there's potentially a claim there for mis-sell. Uh, when I say mis-sell, um, um, what I'm really talking about here is uh, negligence. Um, the advisor was negligent in providing the advice, A, to transfer out of the SIP in the first place, and B, onwards into the unsuitable investment scheme. Yeah, it's an interesting backstory to that. I um, remember the days when off-plan foreign property developers, probably around 2007, like pre-crash, in and around that time, were looking at, the English economy and seeing that a lot of people had equity in the houses. Mm. And I think from, from the naughty property developers and developers abroad, they saw the view that they could potentially take advantage of, of potentially legit uh, IFAs and circumstances in the UK where they would move people from a capital and interest repayment mortgage, remortgage to the hilt, put them on interest only, raise a load of capital, to invest, no repayment vehicle on the interest-only mortgage now. So you've moved people who a lot of equity in the house, paying the mortgage off, going to own that asset outright when, when they retire, if you will. And then they've managed to funnel these funds overseas, probably with the best intentions, um, but the property developers then were offered the money, properties then not built. And then that gave rise to... Uh, FCS, FSCS claims and then subsequent judicial reviews. I suspect, and just debating it, I suspect that what's happened is because of the credit crunch and the issues that then surrounded interest-only mortgages. And I certainly wouldn't applaud this because of what's happened, but I think some of the more um, iffy um, developers overseas have gone, well, if we can't do interest-only mortgages, is there anything else we could go for? It's like, well, yeah. Because of the crash, recession, pensions aren't performing, and therefore yeah. we might have a mechanism where we can say to people, your pension's underperforming, why don't you move it? We'll take advantage of SIPs and, 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 and that path of using a legitimate source in the right way, and we'll take advantage of that and then get our hands on the capital that's in that SIP for these off-plan foreign 
property and even if they have the best intentions to go off and do that and, and build them properties or whatever the, the project may have been when they don't happen you then got a massive massive problem on your hands so you know it, it, it's great that you're being able to assist clients but i think for those who may not know i believe that's the kind of path um and journey that has that's gone from interest only mortgages and led to sips in in essence yeah. of getting their hands uh, on that investment money I, I completely agree with you. I think it is, uh, again, it's the point I made earlier. It's, it's the opportunity. Um, and um, as you, uh, if you've dealt with cases as long as I have, you can see there is a, um, um, there's kind of a journey. Um, so you start off with certain advisors and certain SIP companies at the outset, so 2007, 2008. And yes, you are right. The interest only loans, uh, uh, Clients were told to so you start with the the, the properties and the clients were told individuals were told to uh, remortgage their properties to release equity, then it transferred over to the SIPs and um, you see that there was certain regulated financial advisors that were advising at the outset and certain SIP companies that were accepting those sorts of clients and those sorts of investments in say two thousand and eight two thousand nine, and then as you go as you go uh, over time you can see that the the, the usual suspects, as it were, the advisors, the um, the SIP companies change because you see what that that particular SIP company in 2009, 2010 may may become you know under scrutiny by the FCA or may realise that they potentially got an issue. We're no longer taking the work, so these advisors then found another SIP company that would take the work. Um, so um, so yeah, again, opportunity. Um, you know the these advisors saw an opportunity and, and um, were able to uh, monetize it. That being said, I do agree with you as well. Um, that's not to say every advisor was negligent or every scheme was set to fail. Far from it. You know, I've come across advisors that, um, you know, they feel so bad that they are in, in essence falling on their own sword, you know, and they, they've, they've approached me on behalf of their clients and said, you know, look, Scott, I know you, you, I know you deal with this particular area. I'd like you to help my clients, even if that means that they, you know, they come after me, but I just want to put them somewhere safe and secure. So, you know, advisors, you know, certain advisors have realized what they did was potentially wrong, but they didn't set out to do it in the first place. Equally certain investments that I'm aware of, you know, they certainly weren't set up to fail. You know, they they there were a number of years of successful trading before, for whatever reason, they could no longer carry on, um, and clients lost money. Um, that's fair enough, but that does not alter the fundamentals, which is these investments should only have been recommended to certain individuals, certain high net worth, sophisticated individuals. These schemes should not have been recommended to Joe Blogs on the street these very highly complex schemes that you should only have really have been uh, recommended to invest in if they were fully aware of the risks that were involved and they accepted those risks. And are SIPs covered by the FSCS? And secondly, are, you know, what does the claim journey look like with the FSCS files on the courts? Are they paying out on missold SIPs, pension losses? Yeah, there's been some recent uh, important case law. Um, there's the the Barclay, but the case involving Barclay Burke and the recent case involving Carey's pensions now options um, that uh, do give us an indication of how the courts will treat these cases. Um, the ultimate problem is is that the um, once a successful once a case is brought successfully, inevitably the SIP company, well, Barclay Burke certainly has. Um, um, I know there was um, with. Uh, 
Oh, Liberty SIP as well. Um, they they fold. Uh, options, care pensions haven't yet. There has been the recent uh, successful court of appeal case. Um, I understand the options are, sorry, when I say options, I mean carries, but um, there is talks that they are, well, I know they've applied for permission to appeal that um, decision to the Supreme Court. So I'll wait to see what happens there. But yeah, the courts are taking a very pro um, now, a very pro investor view. Um so the courts is one one route. The financial ombudsman service is another, and the financial services compensation scheme is another. Ultimately, it depends upon the client circumstances, how much they've invested, the value of their claim, and whether we have a viable defendant to pursue. Um, the beauty of these cases is, well, for some clients, the beauty of these cases is that there is always the financial services compensation scheme, which is, as I described, it's a safety net. But it's certainly not the only uh, route for uh, uh, for remedy. Um, every client should first consider whether they would be better suited opting for court or the financial ombudsman service first before they, well, um, before they consider the FSCS. If the FSCS is a scheme of last resort, this was only available if um, the SIP company or the financial advisors is defunct. Uh, damages are capped. Um, so when we when we start with any case, we will consider all the circumstances, see if we need to put it to the financial ombudsman service um, or where we opt for court proceedings. Um, if the only route available for them is the FSCS, we will pursue it for, for, for the client via the, the FSCS. But like I say, it is only a scheme of last resort. So we would have to explore for options first. And on the subject of defined benefit pensions, I've seen that people have had to seek redress for defined benefit pension transfers. Could you, could you touch on what a defined benefit pension, if I can get my words out, what a defined benefit pension is and what might it have been transferred into? You know, people might yeah. people might know that their family or friends may have, may have been in that situation. Um, well, defined benefit pension schemes are obviously uh, are normally attached to um, uh, occupations, occupational pension schemes, whereby individuals um, they it says what it does on the tin, you know, receive certain defined benefits via their pension. So over a period of time, they will have guaranteed returns. They will know have a good indication as to what they can expect to receive, or some sort of, or will know the for, the the uh, formulaic arithmetic as to how that will be calculated at a point in the future um you know there are certain excellent pension schemes to find benefit schemes you know armed, armed services police uh, teacher pensions um i came across a rolls royce pension the other day um which was absolutely which was unbelievable i mean the, the returns that this gentleman would have expected had he kept his pension where it was was astronomical but unfortunately he was advised to transfer out um and into a sip um so a lot of these clients, like a lot of the clients that are that I deal with, um, they have been transferred out into a SIP. Um, there are other um, conduits that they could have transferred out into, but the SIP ones are the ones that we normally that we normally deal with. Um, I think one of the things that, that I always draw into my team, it's not necessarily the investment itself that's the miss sell. It's the step before. It's the advice to transfer out of the defined benefit scheme into a SIP. It's the loss that the client suffers because they transferred out of the defined benefit scheme into the SIP. So this gentleman, the Rolls-Royce pension that I mentioned earlier, even if he hadn't have invested into whatever he invested into, he still lost money because he had transferred out of his pension scheme, his defined benefit scheme, into the SIP. 
So he'd automatically lost because of, because he did that. Now, in my view, that's where the miss. Well, it is that is where the miss sell starts. A lot of people get you know hooked up on the actual end investment scheme, the storage units, the the, the plantations. This it's not. It's the step before. It's the actual advice to transfer out of the pension, which is key. And just to rattle through a few quick examples of you know final salary pension schemes, defined uh, benefit pensions, you've got things like armed forces pensions, British Steel pension scheme, BP, yeah. BT, Jaguar Land Rover, Marks and Spencers, teachers pension, etc. Um, and, and I was reading recently that the financial ombudsman services have received 44% more complaints in 2020, sadly, than it had the year before. Um, and the FCA were looking at this saying that they believe 50% of the pension transfer cases they were looking at back in 2018 were unsuitable. So if you do know anyone who's had um, a defined benefit pension, it, based on those figures, it would be well worth looking at the advice they received um, and, and how that's gone on to perform. Um, if someone was looking at how to potentially make a claim for this old pension or pension losses, Scott, how would they go about that? Um, there's, there's one or two ways they can deal with it. They can do it themselves. Um, the, uh, financial ombudsman service is a free service. Um, they certainly are free to, um, make their complaint to the financial ombudsman service. There's certain rules that they need to comply with first, and there's certain time limits to that. Um, if the advisor or the SIP company is uh, now defunct, they could obviously look at the, uh, FSCS. That again is subject to certain time limits and also uh, caps on uh, level of compensation. Um, alternatively, they can instruct the solicitor. Um, the solicitor will um, take responsibility for the case and advise the clients on not just the procedural issues, but also the legal, the, the legal and regulatory framework that they are applying under. Uh, so, for instance, a certain uh, case law, recent case law on uh, claims against SIP companies, which I think is very important. So anyone making a claim against a SIP company will have to be fully aware of that. Um, the... Uh, if the client would prefer to go to court, I would certainly recommend um, speaking to a solicitor um, um, rather than dealing with it as a litigant in person. Um, court cases can be quite complex. And again, there are a lot of procedural and time limits that they need to comply with. Um, so, yeah, those, those are two options, really. Deal with themselves or, or speak to a solicitor. And does everyone appear to be on the same page? Obviously, the financial ombudsman service, FSCS, the courts, you know, you'd like to think they would all follow the same sorts of logic and precedent, if you will, but they're not necessarily bound to do that. Yeah. Are you finding that there, that as FSCS and the courts are sort of taking the same approach to these things, or are you finding any difference? I, I, think, I think there's certainly differences between them. They are aligning more than they ever have been. Um, the biggest the biggest difference was the, uh, the ombudsman's uh, approach in relation to claims against SIP operators um, and the court's approach. Um, obviously, with the recent Court of Appeal case, that is now um, aligning, but the decision, the, the kind of the basis for the decision and the ultimate findings are somewhat different. Um, so it, it's not one shoe fits all. Um, and that is a also a reason why you would want to consider at the outset what is best for the client. You know, is it the uh, certainly the pro uh, investor approach down the ombudsman is it the court route which there is still up in the air involving you know the certain cases which which leave matters somewhat up in the air um the fscs are, are really a uh, um, um, 
they, they are a obviously it's a government body and there's individuals within that that kind of uh, interpret things slightly different from other individuals from the FSCS. So it's to a degree potluck as to who you get. Um, but um, I, I have to say that, um, you know, uh, the financial ombudsman service and the financial services compensation scheme are simply inundated with cases at the moment. And, uh, you know, it, it must be very, very difficult for them um, to cope with the level of claims. So yes, there are um, quite extensive delays at the moment with both the financial ombudsman service and the FSCS, but they're certainly working through the cases and um, um, they're doing the, the very best. Are there any specific deadlines that apply that people would need to be aware of where a claim may be time barred um, and what they can do to avoid the claim being time barred, where in essence they lose on a technicality because they brought the claim too late? Yeah, so for the courts, um, it depends on the on the actual claim that we're bringing, but if it's a, if it's a claim for um, breach of contract, then it'll be six years. Um, so we advise all clients to bring claims within six years of... Um, uh, of the initial advice, if it's against a professional, if it's against a a, um, a uh, financial advisor, or six years of when the SIP was set up, if it's a claim against a SIP. Now, in professional negligence claims, there's a secondary period, uh, secondary uh, limitation date, uh, strictly for only negligence claims, whereby three years, uh, the client has a kind of a three-year window after which they, well, starting from the date when they should have been aware they had a claim. Um, um, that they have to issue court proceedings. Um, in my experience, a lot of the investments that we dealt with failed more than three years ago. So that secondary limitation um, can be up as well. So a lot of the early investments, 2008, 2009, may be already be statute barred. Um, the financial ombudsman service, um, again, there is uh, time periods involved in that. Um, there is an initial period of six months from the date when the claim, so you would, um, if you were bringing in a financial ombudsman claim, you would send a letter before claim to the advisor or the uh, SIP company. When they provide you your final response, you'd have six months from that date to submit to the financial ombudsman service and then a stop, uh, kind of long stop date of six years uh, from the um, date of advice as well uh, that you would need to bring a claim. Um, strictly speaking, the FSES is bound by similar time periods, but in my experience, they actually don't really apply them. And if you have got a claim, um, you um, we've had claims over six years that we've submitted to the FSCS and they have you know, they have accepted. So, um, strictly speaking, they should do, but I know that they um, that they don't uh, apply those same time periods. We'll whisper that gently. The um... <laughs> I'm glad that the FSCS are, are, are looking after consumers that have suffered uh, suffered in this way and wouldn't lose out on a technicality. In essence, yeah, I, I, yeah I, should, I should strongly, I should strongly put though that um, these time limits are um, very, very stringently uh, r- ruled in the sense that uh, they would give an absolute defence. We've had cases that have been rejected because it's outside of time. So anyone who wants to bring a claim, we would strongly advise that they do so um, within six years of the advice. Um, and if they can't, uh, if they haven't to do so, act as quickly as possible, um, 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 whether they opt to bring it them, themselves or whether they want to instruct solicitors. Yeah, it's important we read out the, the FCA disclaimer, if you like, that in any area of financial selling, you're able to claim without any fee being charged against the regulated part directly, and if necessary, via the appropriate ombudsman or statutory compensation scheme, which could be the financial ombudsman service, 
the Pension Ombudsman and the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, better known as the FSCS. And there's no reason why you would achieve a different or better result by instructing a solicitor or claims management company. Um, moving on, are there any other areas of financial mis-selling, Scott, where you're being asked to help people and, and advise concerned clients at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got an awful lot of uh, CFD claims, uh, contract for differences that we're currently involved with. Um, similar, well, somewhat similar uh, in the sense that these involve a form of mis-sell where clients have been advised to invest into uh, contract for differences, um, high-risk um, investments portfolio um, that have suffered loss because of it. Um, again, that's something that um, we feel quite strongly about. Clients have lost an awful lot of money. We feel there's a, a form, there's so certainly redress there available to them. Um, we, I also deal with a number of banking disputes, claims against banks uh, for a whole host of different reasons. Um, and then also um, undisclosed commissions where clients have paid unknowingly commissions or, or brokers have received commissions for a whole host of different products such as subprime lending mortgages um, um, uh, energy contracts internet contracts that sort of thing so we're dealing with an awful lot of those as well at the moment and if someone's concerned in financial myself some of the areas we've discussed and they're looking at maybe instructing yourself or look, going further forwards with it, what kind of what should they do primarily? Should they, what does they do from in terms of documents, evidence? Should they make a complaint to the individual directly first? What what would you recommend that people do if they're in a situation where they're concerned enough to maybe start making that complaint? Um, I, I think it's very important that you speak to the solicitor first. Um, what you wouldn't want to do is make a, a complaint uh, half-cocked at the outset. Um, it's best always speak to a solicitor if you feel that you have a claim. Speak to a solicitor, um, e even if it's to get some initial advice and then you want to, then your uh, intention is to proceed on your own. Uh, at least a solicitor will be able to set out any sort of, like say, time issues, procedural issues that you, that you need to deal with that you might not otherwise be aware of. Um, Make sure uh, evidence is king. Um, make sure you have all of your evidence, all your documentation that you, that you may possibly have in relation to the scheme or the investment or, or whatever financial product. That could be emails, correspondence from the advisor. It could be application forms, any sort of documentation like that. Make sure you put all that together. Um, and um, don't bury your head in the sand, um, really. If you have lost money because of negligent advice or some form of missell, then um, act as soon as you possibly can, simply because, again, if you fall foul of any sort of limitation date, um, you could potentially, even if you have the best case in the world, you could potentially lose the opportunity. So I think it's vitally important to act uh, quickly um, um, so that you don't lose the chance of bringing a claim. Well, thank you so much, Scott. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much. Um, More welcome. That's it for this week, everyone. You can find out more information about how to contact Scott and Smooth Commercial Law in the links to this show. Please share and spread the word about the MRC show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please hit us up with a five-star review. And remember to check out the products and services at mylegalclub.co.uk. But more importantly, please stay well and take care.